it's very easy to generalize and put people into these categories of, you know, Russians are like this, Canadians are like this, Swedes are like this, the French are like this. But every person is an individual, so every person can challenge that or enforce those stereotypes. So my big thing that I learned is that people are people no matter where you are in the world. So someone's going to be nice, someone's going to be mean, someone's going to be hurtful. But there's always a story and an undercurrent to why they are. We are, we're here and uh, another time to, to have a chat with a person. Last time it was, it was me. Uh, and now we have, uh, uh, we have to, we're going to hear the story of uh, Josh Wilson. Welcome, Josh. Hello. Hello. So, Great to be here. Cool. So your, Josh is, uh, is a friend of mine uh, um, uh, who lives in Moscow. I do. Yeah. I live in Moscow. But you're originally from, Canada. from Canada. Yeah. Uh, yeah, from Vancouver, Canada. Well, I mean, I say Vancouver because if I say Chilliwack, no one, no one knows where that is. Um, so yeah, yeah, from Vancouver. Cool. And and uh, you're here visiting in Barcelona. So just to 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 clarify, we are it's in me and Baptiste and Josh who sits in Barcelona, and we have Alan uh, with us from Switzerland, as usual. Cool. So, Josh, can you just uh, uh, tell, like, what, what? Let's start with why did you move to Moscow? Why did I move to Moscow? Uh, so, I was working um, at a fundraising company. So, I was going door to door soliciting fund uh, donations for UNICEF and UNHCR, and it was a horrible and miserable job. Uh, I don't know if anyone here has worked in sales, uh, and it can be difficult. Uh, it can be very, very difficult, and working with charities and stuff, so it's things you really believe in and having people like no or get racist or things, bigoted, you know. Uh, so that was hard and I quit. Uh, there was also internal politics as there always is in every office. So I left um, and I was looking for a new job and a friend of mine from university who had won a trip on the Trans-Siberian Railway and on that trip met someone, a Russian, who was an English teacher at a private school in Moscow So this person she met sent her a message asking if she knew anyone who was interested in teaching at their school. And then she, so she posted this on Facebook. I said, sure, why not? Always thought, yeah, maybe I will travel overseas to go teach English for a year and then come back. And uh, they, so I got the email, I sent an email out. They said, sure, yeah. Do you have any teaching experience? Not, not really, no, I've taught some drama. Uh, <laughs> No, no teaching English experience. No, oh, that's fine. Do you speak Russian? Not a word. All right, fine. Come on out. So yeah, then I got my visa and I went out and that's kind of how I got started there. Yeah. Worked in the private school, taught uh, from grade one to grade 11 English and had no qualifications and <laughs> often got trapped in these things like, uh, can you explain like the present continuous? I'm like, sure. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> so like even still to this day, I don't know like the different tenses and grammatical rules around the language I speak, but I'm a native speaker and it's in high demand. So yeah. So you're a native speaker. So this is your experience in teaching English. Yeah. That's just being a native speaker. But as far as I know, It's super hard because you know how it should sound, but you have no clue why, yes. because there is no reason. Yeah, exactly. That 100%. I always say I'm the worst English teacher because uh, if someone says something wrong too, oftentimes I'm like, I understood that. That's fine. As long as you're understood, which is not really the best approach when people are writing exams or are taking tests. Uh, but I'm a fun English teacher. Hey. No? Uh, but yeah, so quickly, shortly after that, I moved into teaching drama in kindergartens and private schools and stuff. So I transitioned out of teaching English, which was much better because then I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> so you, you kind of escaped uh, because I was the way to, to try to understand how you managed to do it finally. But uh, your solution was to go to drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to, find, to find a different job. But it's definitely like they had a Russian teacher teaching them English. And they knew all the grammar rules and constructs and everything. So they would teach them that. And I would just like be there to practice with them, essentially, which is easy. That's you just speak, you're just speaking practice or coming up with fun projects for them to do in English. And, <laughs> and so these Russian teachers, there were Russians or yes. there were foreigners? Russians. I was the only foreigner at my school. 
So how was the experience to meet people that maybe know more about your language <laughs> than I do? There, I, I have a good friend. Uh, he's on my, my improv team, uh, Yuri Sevatiev, uh, and he his English is incredible, way better than my English. Uh, he will... It's like he'll be able to give the definition of words. Like I know how to use a word. Like you know when you know a word and you just say it, and someone's like, "Well, what does that mean?" And you go, "Uh, kind of maybe this." He can give like the dictionary definition. Very smart guy. He's a PhD in maths and teaches at university and stuff. Uh, and he recently just wrote his IELTS exam and he got an 8.5 or something ridiculous. So he speaks essentially at like a native level. So yeah, there. That's it's a crazy thing to be like, well. Yeah, <laughs> but you studied it and I just kind of lived in it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of nice. It's humbling, I would say, to meet people who speak your language better than you or know how it works better than you because you, it puts it in perspective, like, oh, how little do I know? And I'm, I'm fairly monolingual as well. I mean, I studied French in school, but uh, that's nothing. Like, I, I lived on the West Coast. No one there speaks French, so we would... Like uh, je te il elle, you know, just the kind of the basic stuff, aller, uh, conjugating verbs. But I forgot all of that. And then coming to Russia, where people are bilingual, trilingual, and seeing that, and just being like, oh, well, <laughs> look at me and my American ideology being questioned, and uh, not so special anymore, am I? Uh, <laughs> But do you do you feel like uh, ex except for that like do you feel like there's something else that that in your your perception of of the world that has sort of changed or opened up uh, since you like left Canada and moved to Russia? Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, Russia is a very different country than Canada, a hundred percent. The people are very different. Um, of course, the politics, economy, everything is is quite different. But what I've noticed the big similarity is, is people are people. So it's very easy to generalize and put people into these categories of, you know, Russians are like this, Canadians are like this, Swedes are like this, the French are like this. But every person is an individual, so every person can challenge that or enforce those stereotypes. So my big thing that I learned is that people are people no matter where you are in the world. So someone's going to be nice, someone's going to be mean, someone's going to be hurtful. But there's always an, a story and an undercurrent to why they are. Generally speaking, if we are speaking in generalizations, we're painting with that broad brush. I would say Russians are, they look very frigid on the outside. They don't tend to express a lot of emotions. But when they do, they're so warm and so friendly. Shirt off your back. You know, and they, maybe it comes from that post-Soviet time where you had nothing and everyone had to come together to survive. Uh, so I would, I, that's, yeah, kind of this whole, you know, Western mentality of, you know, Russia is the big evil, like all 1980s action films. They're the main villains uh, and kind of being like, oh, just people are people. So I think that's kind of the biggest change I had. And, the, and when people ask me back home, like, oh, what's so different about Russia? I'm like, really? I mean, this, this and this. But generally speaking, people are people and People have different views and people have the same views. I'm trying to picture, maybe you have an example of one of these moments where you discover, oh, finally, they can express very loudly like this emotion and... Uh... Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, when they drink. <laughs> <laughs> when you drink with Russians, it gets wild. Just the, the most recent example, I was at a friend's birthday party and uh, there's another friend, but not really a friend, like more of an acquaintance, met a couple times. And I walk up and she's wasted. And she's like, ah, Josh. And she runs up, gives me a huge hug. Oh, I miss you so much. I never see you. I'm like, we've talked like three times. Um, and it, yeah, just had like great chats with people. Um, it that was, sounds a very American way of yeah, saying it, hello. It, it kind of was, yeah, um, it, it very much was. And I was like, oh, I'm home. Um, and yeah, and the whole night, everyone uh, was like coming together. Someone had a guitar. They were singing and drinking and talking and having having a great time. Uh, my friend whose birthday it was, she was just like, she was like kind of tearing up. She's like, I'm so happy. And like my colleagues bought me a cake and, and they all sang happy birthday to me at work. And everyone came and everyone's getting along because sometimes, you know, you, you have two different friend groups and there might be people who, you know, just don't talk to each other. But everyone's talking to her. And she's she was just so like emotionally happy that everyone was happy and having a great time. You just need a, that little bit of lubrication to get those emotional wheels turning in Russia, I would say. I mean, uh, <laughs> again, people are people. Uh, I'd want to come back to that. Don't paint with broad strokes, but uh, definitely it does help. It does help kind of break down a little bit of that wall. 
Yeah, and this kind of opposition between uh, America and Russia you talked about before make me think also that it's interesting that you're teaching drama because yes. uh, Russia is kind of a huge place for drama in is, history yeah. and America too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, well, I, I mean, Stanislavski came over to teach yeah. these, his method of acting because before him it was very melodramatic. Uh, so Stanislavski method was about kind of being in the moment, uh, intentions, tactics. Oh, maybe I have to explain what those are. So what, what, what your character wants in a scene and how they're going to get it. So what they want is their intention, what they want the other character to do or to get from them, and how they get it is their tactics. And that's Stanislavski through and through. And that's what I was taught when I was in theater school. And then coming here, I'm like, hey, kids, you know who Stanislavski is? Like, yeah. I'm like, cool. This is what he teaches. So I'm a Canadian teaching you Russian methodology uh, in English. So uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of this weird surrealism or maybe like circular thing where it always comes back to the source or whatever yeah, it is. And since we talked before about native speakers, who native is the Stanislavski ideas in Russia are there really like so much in it that it's kind of natural for them or is it still something that is quite new for them I think um well I, I'd say it's it's pretty I, I I know a couple friends of mine who are actors and actresses um but I haven't talked to them too much about how they are taught in school but I think uh, a lot of it's Meisner now uh light of Meisner technique I see a lot of classes for Meisner Um, as well as other other courses. But I think the foundation is still very much Stanislavski uh, and kind of based and rooted in that. And I think that's almost true globally, kind of revolutionized how <laughs> theater was done. So um, Meisner was uh, inspired by Stanislavski, although uh, if I, oh, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to, to explain, maybe I'm wrong, but no, he, he was not. I have, I have no idea. <laughs> That's why I, I didn't want to say anything because I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a loop. I'm, I'm not sure I would have to verify, but I think it's kind of a loop that he was probably he was inspired, but saying he wanted to do something yeah, different. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. still kind of inspired. I think that's kind of how most yeah. things work, right? You have the, the uh, thesis, then the antithesis, then synthesis, right? That was uh, Hegel or Hume's idea of history. Uh, I can't remember. Some German philosopher. <laughs> But you have, uh, uh, it, like, Russia has a very, like, vast, uh, like, history of playwrights. Yes, yes, like, there's, yes. Like, yeah, yeah, so did you have a different view of, like, Russian playwrights and, like, Russian theater before you came there? And have that changed since you moved? Or, uh, like, well, something you discovered? The only Russian playwright I really knew um, was Chekhov. Uh, so I, I kind of came in not knowing Gogol or even, I think, Pushkin wrote some plays. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't really know what Russian theater was. I have since seen uh, some Russian shows. Uh, I've also seen some adaptations of American. Like I saw Singing in the Rain in Russian. I saw um, The Play That Goes Wrong in Russian. Uh, but then I saw some original Russian works as well. Uh, so it's, it's different. It's, uh, I think theater in Russia, there's so many different theaters So there's experimental theaters working with, you know, new stuff. Um, there's traditional theaters, there's puppet theaters, children's theaters. There's all over. There's theaters, like, so, so many theaters all over the place. Uh, and they, they do, they seem to be doing really well. Um, yeah, and a lot of, like, historical theaters as well. Um, Bulgov, Bulgov, I can't say anything. I'm gonna, I apologize for anyone who's Russian listening and going, this is all wrong. Um, um, yeah, but the Bulgov like, Theater Museum, uh, which has its theater there as well. Uh, yeah, so there, there is kind of the steep traditionalism, but there's also uh, exploration of new avenues. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I haven't been to, like, it's, it's so fascinating, but I haven't delve too deep into like the theater history of Russia because it would be fascinating to see you know I know nothing about what happened during Soviet times or the you know counterculture that would have been emerged that um so it's yeah it's, it's terribly fascinating but I unfortunately don't know <laughs> enough about it to carry on much of a conversation <laughs> yeah because uh, after all uh, your job is I feel understood to teach drama to kids yeah so all the theory is maybe less important yeah it's it's more more English through drama so learning English through drama lessons so parents aren't super concerned if their kids know you know how to go up on stage and project and but they want them to go up on stage and speak English 
So how does it look like? It's like role playing kind of? Yeah, it's uh, so for me, I do. I use a lot of improv. Uh, improvisation in my classes, so a lot of improv exercises, uh, focusing on maybe specific skills uh, that are might be important. Uh, depends how I've broken up my curriculum. Uh, so if I'm like focusing on, uh, let's say, intent, intentions or of, of actors, like what does your character want, wants and needs, you know, play a couple games about that, explain how this relates to theater, maybe give them a script and have them write out what their character wants when they say that or create yeah role play some scenarios things like that so there's there's lots of like different kind of techniques i would use uh but the the kind of the main goal is generally to make the children feel comfortable uh speaking in english and confident when they're speaking so i i remember my first year working at this private school a different private school than the first private school I worked at. They've worked at many private schools. <laughs> and uh, to see the kids, how far they came in the year, because I'd like to think it's because of drama and because of me as a teacher, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> they had other English lessons too. But, yeah, uh, there were just the amount of confidence they had getting up on stage. Uh, so the last, like, in summer, we did a summer show, and the kids uh, made their own show. We did devising work. So that was the whole, like, two modules we spent working on uh, theater as a collective creation. So they wrote their scripts, which we helped clean up. Um, they rehearsed it. They directed it. They did all the stuff around it and put it up on stage. And some people who just terrified would never get on the stage, you know, were up there doing stuff. And so just to see that jump from the start of the year to the end of the year, was that was incredible. And to have these kids, maybe they don't speak perfect English and maybe they don't have, even maybe their English level hasn't increased greatly, but they're much more confident. They're more willing to speak and to use it, which is how you get better at a language. He says, knowing that he's being a monolinguist. <laughs> that, that, that's quite cool. Like, you, you, you're talking about like pri private schools. You've yeah. been working at private school. Like, how is it with like the class differences in 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 this uh, Russian society? Like, what what is your uh, like view of of that? And how like how is it? Uh, yeah. So, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know. It up to the viewers to decide, uh, and maybe you guys. Uh, I I've only worked in like private schools for rich kids and like exceptionally wealthy uh, children's of celebrities and um, like very famous people, politicians, oligarchs. Uh, a couple of stories I do to kind of put that into perspective is one day a kid came to school in a helicopter. Um, one of my students, we were talking about pets in class and she talked about how her dad was given a white tiger as a pet Uh, it doesn't live with them anymore. It's uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's somewhere else. I asked, I was like, like a conservator, like a zoo. Like she's like, no, no, no. Like we have a separate house for it. And then she also uh, she was moving to Italy, and she's like, my dad can't buy me a flat now because I'm not 16. But when I turn 16, he's gonna buy buy me a flat in Italy, so I go to school there. So it's just like these ridiculous people. And the whole the whole time I'm sitting there listening to this stuff, I'm like, I will never experience the world that you live in. We come from two very 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 different places. Uh, like I yeah sure I'm not going to the you know. Uh, the Maldives or, you know, I don't have two, two or three houses in other countries or whatever it is. Uh, but there is, there is a, a vast difference. Um, well, granted, not all my students, sorry, I, I, I just remembered. I had some uh, students who got on scholarships into the school as well. So they weren't excessively wealthy. Still doing all right, especially compared to most Russian families, I would say. Uh, but they, yeah, they tend to be a bit more humble and ha appreciative of what they were they had and worked a lot harder and there there tended to be this kind of uh what's the like lack of work ethic with the with the more entitled children like i just need to show up and that's not to say that all the kids were like that some were incredibly working hard again people are people <laughs> coming back to that that main uh, thesis there Uh, but yeah, so I, I don't, I can't really speak to, um, like what more of a public school would look like or what children at a, um, more maybe median level, not the super rich, uh, how they would act in a school. Um, even, uh, my girlfriend who she was a teacher now she works as a flight attendant. Uh, she, when she first started, she worked at a smaller school, but she 
my she worked at a private school with me and that's where we met so I don't even know how much she would know if she listens to this I'm very sorry Nadia um, <laughs> you of course you know all this but uh, <laughs> I'll hear it get an earful later uh, but yeah no it's 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 hard to it's hard to say um, I think uh, when it comes to education the Russian system in of itself as far as I was a part of it um, it's very focused on results and I think that's a lot of schools throughout the world, right? You, they teach tests. And a lot of funding comes from how well they do on these Olympiads, which are like kind of like state or regional testing things they do. And if, you're, if you do well in that, the school gets more money and there's certain benefits to that. So they really push Olympiads and they take kids out of classes. Like I, ha- I had students have to leave my classes because they had Olympiad prep or they were prepping for a different exam or and it was uh just kind of this drive to just get good results on tests and increase the rankings because then you get more money for your school which you know means this this and this which i wasn't super excited about yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you you seem very excited about the change you see on the kids since yeah you're yeah, teaching. yeah yeah that is that is the best part I but think, when you arrived in russia mm-hmm. uh you did english classes more because it was kind of the thing you could do to yeah. survive and yeah so well, no you like it you're really i do i i do like teaching um i actually i recently just quit my job um, oh. <laughs> yeah but uh, i do and it's not because of the teaching or because of the students it was because kind of the bureaucracy around it and the russian school system is in my opinion not the best but uh yeah no i i, I guess i kind of did find a, a love for teaching in russia uh, i had enjoyed it i taught a couple of drama classes here and there in canada uh, but it's it was you know very short amount of time a couple courses here and there and then yeah coming to russia and having like a full year or two with students and seeing them grow and change and you know having that kind of impact i mean it was hard to leave the school because the kids were were so great <laughs> like they they and just having been a part of that and maybe having a small influence you know because i as a western i have a more liberal voice and although there are certain things i can't talk about legally Uh, to young people in Russia because oh, there yeah. there's a law against that yeah you can't you can't talk about homosexuality or drugs or anything like that because it is illegal it's gay pro- under the gay propaganda laws no it's not even illegal you can't talk about it well, no it's not very i mean for in the countries i've seen i've never experienced this yeah. kind of official uh, yeah no it's it's 100% illegal like if uh, one of the parents heard something or some one of the kids told their parents and the parents got upset they could bring legal action against it i could get kicked out of the country i guess we have same thing in france with racism where you can't publicly talk and probably not in schools uh mm. some racism yeah like hate hate speech yeah Except this is you can say hate, hate speech <laughs> you can't just say positive things about uh marginalized groups essentially but i i even still i mean if someone said in my class said something racist I'd be like no okay and here's why you don't say that da, 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 da. you know no that's not cool don't don't say that things like that Uh, so hopefully, ideally, that would have a little bit of an impact. Maybe they'll walk away. Yeah. And these are the future leaders of the country, um, for better or worse. <laughs> some of them for worse. Some of them for a lot better. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it, it is. And the kids are the, probably the biggest part and the, the best part, I think, of, of teaching in general. Yeah. But is it, uh, just coming back to that, that law of it being illegal to speak about yeah. those things, is that, like over in, in every sort of uh, situation like so if you're walking on the street and you're talking about that stuff someone can uh yeah I, i i believe so the the laws are so loose and so open to interpretation for that reason that they can be used against people um especially marginalized groups uh yeah it, it is it's very you have to be very careful uh and especially yeah dealing with people who are 18 and younger So I, I don't know how, like, because there are definitely protests and like there was a recently there was the gay film festival in Moscow. Uh, I don't. And there was a lot of protests around that as well. People coming and protesting and the police doing nothing to stop. Of course. I mean, <laughs> but it still happened and it still went on. And um, so maybe steps in the right direction, just slowly but surely. But yeah, it's I, I don't know how how they would use that to maybe 
fine people or incarcerate people. I, I just know as a foreigner, it's it's so easy for them to be like, no, you're out. Uh, you just, you know, you're poisoning the minds of the youth, essentially. <laughs> for better or for worse, people are people, no matter where they are. <laughs> This, uh, this censorship made me, made me think of, I mean, in, in the country you're from, uh, there is Keith Johnston, an uh, improviser, that yes, started yes. In, in England, and he had a problem doing improv that you're doing with kids because of censorship, that yeah. they wanted to have the text before. So here, of course, it's kids, so it's not the same, mm-hmm. but you must have some moments where these kind of forbidden topics occur, and you had to manage them, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, I mean, like kids have talked about like wanting to have you know certain scenes um, in a, like even when they were, we were doing the collective creation stuff. Um, I think one of them like, what if we made this character gay? And I was like, well, okay, so here's the problem: uh, Russia has these laws, and I, I'm very open about explaining to the kids why we can't do like. Um, and they're like, that's stupid. I'm like, yeah, change it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't do anything. Yeah, so, the, yeah, there definitely are moments that come up and you kind of have to, and it's hard, too, because you don't want to stifle creative voices. You don't want to, so you have to do it in such a way or frame it um, where it's it's not like, no, you're wrong to even suggest that. It's just we can't do that because someone could take great offense to that. And if you don't want me to be fired, we kind of have to, you know, stay within the lines here. Also, you're 14 years old. You shouldn't be, you know, making out with each other on stage. I'm not going to let you do that. Because <laughs> they definitely did suggest it. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you are too young. Don't. No. I feel weird. No. Why would you do? Why would you even say that? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> there. yeah, there definitely are moments. Because kids, I think, just generally, when you hit that age, like 15, 16, you want to rebel. Kids rebel, right? Uh, and so you have all these, you know, systems in place and, you know, you're told this is wrong and you're like, no, no, not at all. Da, da, da. Like fight the system and, you know, rise up against, fight the man. Uh, and you, you want to encourage that a bit? I, I want to encourage that. I love that. I love that rebel rousing. Uh, kids who are like very sassy or bitchy in class. I'm like, you're my favorite. <laughs> do your work. I'm not going to do my work. Do your work. No. Okay, okay, fine. I'll do my work. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's, it, there is that kind of that tightrope walk where you kind of can get away with stuff because generally people don't speak English, but you got to be careful. So maybe you can throw in some innuendo or some hints at things that, you know, could be taken, mm. but it would be a, maybe a small stretch. So that's one way of kind of getting around that. Uh, and comedy is a great way of getting around that too. Parody and um, and satire, of course. But hopefully in the next 20 or so years, that won't be a problem anymore in Russia. You, as you said, people are people. So I guess you know, some of the some of the kids uh, you, you work with are shy. Mm-hmm. I guess some of them are gay. That must be another issue <laughs> where they are. I mean, but, no um, one would openly say that, but of course. Yeah. Actually, yeah, well, I did course. have, I did have one student come up and be like, Oh yeah, my girlfriend, she was, she said this and I was like, okay, but like, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's hard to, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's one of those things I, I can't talk about it. So I have to kind of pretend it's not there. <laughs> yeah. Which, must be a bit awkward, I can imagine. But uh, what, what I wanted to ask you is about the, the shy kids, because obviously um, they all happily went on stage uh, at the end of the term. Well, not all and, happily. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, what, what is yeah. it that motivates them? How, how do you get them to get on stage? Uh, I think uh, this is great for any Im- improv teachers listening out there. <laughs> uh, kind of, I think the best advice, if you have students or you're teaching something and you want to get people involved, make it fun and give them the option not to be involved. So a lot of my, my students would be like, this is stupid. I'm like, yeah, go on, sure, sit out, totally fine. And then they start to watch people playing the game and start watching other people have fun and then they want to participate. So kind of creating that, those like moments where you can have these fun games with, with the students and that, and not putting pressure on them to be participants. You know, it's okay to watch. It's, people are different, right? Um, some people learn best by just watching. Some people learn best by doing. Um, so if you have, you know, these kids who are, who are too shy and I'm not going to force them too far out of their comfort zone, but I, I will encourage them. I'll push them a little bit and go, Hey, you know, maybe you want to try today. Okay. Yeah, sure. Or no, maybe tomorrow. Yeah, maybe tomorrow. 
you know, giving, I think giving the option where you're not forcing them uh, to do something because that's just going to create more stress and pressure and anxiety and make them recede further. Uh, and just showing them that it is, it can be fun. And I th- improv is great for that as well because failure is celebrated in improv and, um, and making mistakes is fantastic and it leads on new journeys and it takes you to where places you never expect. So kind of coming, like I definitely come in with an improv mindset into these, into these classes. Uh, and yeah, so I, I, I always tell my students, I'm never going to force you to do anything. If you want to do something, please do. Uh, I'm going to never put you out of your comfort zone and I'm never going to give you something that I don't believe you can do. Uh, so I hopefully would have their trust, uh, and, um, they would believe in me just as much as I trust and believe in them. So it's kind of this mutual respect thing as well, as well as encouraging, you know, fun and play and just getting them up and getting everyone comfortable with each other, have people make mistakes and laugh and enjoy it. And then that kind of breaks down that wall of anxiety, that wall of, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I'm too scared. I can't do it. It's you can, cause everyone's here and they're supporting you. You're not alone. Uh, yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. And at the end of the term, did they actually all go on stage or did some of them remain reluctant? Uh, so I, I had uh, one student who the whole year didn't want to do anything was, you know, this is stupid. I don't like this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I got him to do to learn his lines and to do the dress rehearsal. So we he performed it without an audience. And then I asked him, like, do you want are you okay with doing this for the audience? And he said, no. And I said, that's totally fine. The amount that you have done is incredible. Thank you so much for, you know, you know, doing this much. Uh, I'm, I fully understand you don't want to do more. And I found another student to take his spot and he was, uh, he still was in the show. He just, uh, I put him into a role that had no text. So he was kind of, uh, he was uh, like a backstage kind of crew role as well as uh, when he was on stage, just like a background character. So, uh, you know, changing the role as well for him because uh, he mm-hmm. had he had a lot of speaking stuff and he was, you know, he struggled with it, but he, he learned it all and he got up on stage and he did it. And then I was like, so will you be able to do this in front of a large crowd? He said, no. I said, I totally understand and respect that. Thank you for being honest with me. And here's what we can do. Are you okay with doing this instead? And he said, sure. I mean, he said sure begrudgingly because he was a 15-year-old boy, but uh, <laughs> he still did it. And I, I counted that as a huge win. Um, and I had, a, I had a really cool experience with one of my students after the show. Uh, he came up to me and he said, uh, you know, Mr. Josh, Mr. Josh, which is what the kids call me. Uh, <laughs> I, I had this, I, I froze on stage. I, I couldn't remember what to say. And, and then the, the other kids, they, they helped me out. They helped me remember my lines. And, and I, I kind of had this, this realization that, you know, we're all a team and, and we're all working together. And for me to hear that from a student, you know, I've been trying to kind of get this, you are a team, you are a team and him to kind of have that realization on stage of all places, um, that yeah, they, they were all there in the together and they were all helping each other and making a show together and come up and be so excited about this that he figured it out, uh, was a really, really cool experience. Um, one that I will probably always remember because uh, it was it was just it was super cool and be like yeah man you're you're in this together, so yeah creating that that team atmosphere that everyone's helping each other and we're all a family right no one wants to see anyone else suffer. <laughs> How long have you been doing this for? Teaching uh, I've been teaching in Russia for five years on and off. Um, okay. I've been teaching drama in Russia for three years. For one year I was teaching. Uh, kindergarten so like two-year-olds to six-year-olds and then I got this job at the private school where I worked for the last two years uh, teaching well I guess actually in the end I taught every grade but uh, I was teaching grade four to grade eight and then also taught grade 11 at the end and I taught every grade eventually uh, because teachers came and went and classes need to be filled and curriculums need to be changed and blah, blah, blah. So uh, I guess in total, I've been teaching drama for three years in Russia and five years of total teaching in Russia. And then I was teaching on and off in Canada, maybe for about a year before I came out. So six years experience, roughly. <laughs> uh, and you've just quit. 
if I understood yes, properly. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I did. I left the school, so I'm I'm hopefully moving on to greener pastures. <laughs> we'll see. Do, do you have any idea what you're going to do next? Uh, so I have uh, have some irons in the fire, as I like to say, but nothing concrete. Um, I had a, a someone I know who works for a um, film studio, and they wanted to start up a cultural center and teach uh, English drama there. So he put my name forward and kind of been working with him on that happening next year for just a couple of days a week. Uh, talking with some friends of mine who are actors uh, in theater, in the theaters in Russia, about maybe doing some sort of collaboration with them, English-Russian show. Uh, I think based on Antigone and very like movement-based, so we'll see. That's been very... Mm-hmm nothing's come out of that but well the idea is there they said they're working on the idea they just don't have anything yet <laughs> uh and then yeah just just a couple other small things like that here and there so but nothing concrete as of yet so we'll see i'm just kind of keeping myself open and and letting the world give me some stuff <laughs> whatever comes up and why is it in russia Why am I still in Russia? My girlfriend is Russian. Oh, okay. That's, of course. Course. That's yes. why you stay. You, <laughs> yeah. you don't plan to. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I would like to move at some point, maybe soon, because the winters there are incredibly difficult. It starts off and the snow starts falling and you're like, oh, this is lovely. It's fantastic. It may get better, but this is not the good news. No, it's not. <laughs> and then, you know, once it's minus 30 and it's been snowing for like, you know, forever and you never see the sun, you, you get a little depressed. Emil knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Coming from Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. That's one of the reasons why I live in Barcelona. Yeah, you know, smart. It makes sense. <laughs> you were saying something about keeping your options open. You're, you're letting things come to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, what, is that like a philosophy that you've always had to like to sort of how your approach to life pretty much like is Is, is that something new or, or how have you had your, your approach to life in that sense? Um, that's a very good question, Emil. Thank you. Uh, I think yes and no, because I very much believe in like when you're looking for a job, casting a wide net, apply for anything and everything. Uh, and I still kind of maintain that right now. I'm not actively looking, which I feel like could uh, bite me in the ass later on but uh yeah it's i i very much have the like you know you you apply and you apply a lot and you hit you pound the pavement and you get out there if you're looking for a job if you need a, if you need work as of right now i think there is kind of a shift i i was able to save up some money so i have a bit of a, a backup that i don't need to you know right away uh, so this isn't for everyone of course because not everyone is is that fortunate but uh yeah it's just it's just waiting for something else and just being open to new experiences so when uh someone's like hey do you want to do this I'm like sure yeah i got free time now why not like i had to i had to turn down a lot of things when i was working my nine to five teaching job because something would happen during the day or you know these people wanted me to go away for this week or something so i couldn't i couldn't do it because i couldn't leave work so being having that ability to be free and to be able to sort of let these things come to me if they do. And if they don't, then going out and finding them. <laughs> Go back to that. But I'm, I'm going to take a, a more laissez-faire, if I can borrow a French term, uh, approach to, to looking for work, essentially. Yeah, that's the yes and attitude, yes. right? Yes, <laughs> and I agree. I, I'm just coming back to, to the question of moving abroad, because mm-hmm. it's interesting that you, your girlfriend is from Russia. How do you, would, you, would you want to live outside of our country? Uh, so we, we did, I mean, not for a very long time, but we, we lived in Canada for four months together with my family, uh, just to kind of see mm-hmm. what it was like. And it was hard. It's, it's always hard when you move yeah. to a new place and it's a different language and different culture, different traditions or family holidays or anything like that. Uh, so it was it was very hard for her at first um, and I was like now you know what it's like for me now you know what it's like for me now you know what it's like ah! um, <laughs> which was great for me yeah because now now we can well but it's like it's a commiserate kind of thing so when I'm in and back in Russia and sometimes still things get hard and I'm like so you know when you were in Canada and this was difficult I'm still in Russia She's like but you should you know know better I'm like fine fair enough yeah your English is better than my Russian fair um, <laughs> uh, but she in the end yeah she she really liked it um, grew to love it quite a lot and uh, we are planning on going back for a month in October so I think she's somewhat open to the idea but her family and her friends and everyone is in Russia so it's it's I think 
I hope it'll happen in the near future, but I think it might take a little bit more cajoling. And I also want to go someplace where both of us will be strangers, um, where both of us are new too, because I think sharing that experience together and both recognizing how difficult it is um, with maybe a different language as well uh, and trying to make your own way. First of all, it's a huge growing opportunity. I grew so much when I came to Russia. I learned so much about myself, uh, both good and bad, and changed a lot and really feel that I did become a better person because of it. And I think to experience that in a relationship uh, made me really push you, (laughs) which sometimes relationships, (laughs) maybe you should talk, Josh. Um, (laughs) Maybe sometimes relationships shouldn't be pushed, but uh, I think it would be really good and it would set us both on like an even, even keel. Right. Because right now, if we're in Canada, that's kind of unfair to her. If we're in Russia, it's a little bit unfair to me. And whereas if we go to like, I don't know, Italy or Greece or someplace, uh, then it's both unfair to both of us. So no one's happy. Yeah. You'll end up in Barcelona. Anyways. Yeah, everyone always does. Right? Everybody ends up. And, and to go about this topic, um, when we discussed with Emil last time, he, he told us that he has kind of a mission when he's abroad that he's representing what is Sweden to, to other people. Mm-hmm. And so what do you feel about that? Do you, do you think yes, that you represent Canadian? She was she surprised your girlfriend discovering other Canadians yeah. that are maybe different from you? Uh, I think my, my, the biggest surprise for my girlfriend when she came to Canada was uh, people you didn't know would come up and talk to you and like wave to you on the street. I, and I, we were in a relatively small town. Of, but, well, not so small for Canada, yeah, but small, small for, Canada. yeah, uh, about 80,000 people. And, and just random people would, like, she was in a store by herself buying something, and this old guy came up to her and was like, oh, it's a really nice day today, nice weather we're having, and just started a conversation with her, and she freaked out, because that's not something that happens in Russia. Um, <laughs> so that, that's, a, that's a kind of a cultural shock thing. Uh, but, I mean, you go to the bigger city, you go into Vancouver, you, it's similar. People kind of keep to themselves. I think that's true most places. You get out into the country, people tend to be a bit more like, oh, hi, where are you? Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, more inquisitive, maybe. But do you feel like you've uh, yeah, that you've become more proud of Canada since you left? Yeah. Uh, yes. I, yeah, I, I think, yeah, you kind of get a bit of rose-colored glasses when you, when you leave your country. And there's definitely certain things that I miss, for sure. The environment is a huge one. Coming from mountains and oceans and rivers, lakes and forests everywhere uh, to Moscow, which is flat and, well, gray because of all the buildings, but yeah, flat and industrial and... You know, it's hard to find kind of these quiet, tranquil places. So, you, yeah, you, you do have that. But I think it is important to, you know, no place is perfect. Every place is going to have pros and cons. And I still haven't really found the place where I felt like at home. So Canada for me is where I was born. It's where I grew up. But even when I came back after being in Russia, I was like, this doesn't feel like home. Russia doesn't really feel like home. I don't know where I would want to settle yet so i need to go out and see more places experience more things uh, and i would like to live in yeah more more areas just to kind of find a place where i could call home do, do you have like do you have an idea of what like what kind of criteria that sort of like possible home could have i don't know it's i i for me it was kind of a, like a feeling um where you, you get someplace and you're like oh yeah i could live here Um, so actually I had that in France when I went to Paris, I was like, wow, this is, uh, but it it was, maybe it was because it was a different time I came. Yeah. And it was just because you stayed not long enough. (laughs) (laughs) Paris. Yeah. Well, it was, it was also right. I came the day of the Charlie Hebdo shootings. yeah. Yeah. So everyone was, came together and there was that crazy, um, like togetherness and that everyone was, you know, talking with each other and taking care of each other. Uh, so I was like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I mean, not that that happened. That was a horrible thing. But uh, just how, how the community came together um, and just the the feel and the energy. Uh, and there's been a couple of places where, you know, you kind of get the spark of something. But I, I mean, it's kind of like this idea of love at first sight, right? It's like, does it really exist or is it just, you know, you fall in love with the place and then, you know, as you get to learn about it, you're like, oh, no, this is awful. Um, <laughs> so it's, I guess I'm finding the right relationship with where I want to live. 
Uh, and that's tricky when you don't date around enough mm. <laughs> to use that metaphor. <laughs> That's true. Like you, you're dating for the the the, the future home. Yeah, 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 for your future home. And it, maybe it's it's just kind of a nomadic lifestyle I want to lead, or maybe it, I don't want to be tied down to a place for a long period of time. Um, like the flat I'm living in now is the longest I've lived in a single place since I first moved out of home. So I used like every year I was in a different place uh, for like the last eight nine years. So. It's strange, and I I get antsy in my flat. I'm like I, I just even want to like rearrange the furniture or um, move. <laughs> like I just want to move, just to just to move, um, just for something new. And I think I kind of crave that newness. Like I I tend to hop from job to job pretty quick as well, um, which might be a reflection on my character. I don't know. I definitely got asked that in an interview once. They're like, so you you uh, you don't stay long in a lot of jobs. No, um, I just, uh, you know, I'm always trying to look for the next best thing, and so I'm keep keep moving up. Okay. <laughs> I did not take that job. <laughs> I moved to Russia. <laughs> uh, maybe it would be too personal. You can tell me. No, as fine, we yeah. But when we discuss, I feel that there is one thing that seems to not change a lot. It's about your girlfriend, your relationship. Yes, yeah. So that's, that's, you only seem to be happy and yeah. do not want to make it all new. and Yeah, yeah. That, that, that is definitely the rock. That is kind of the the support or the what's the word the foundation that i i'm kind of building my life around right now it's the consistent thing so everything else can be crazy but because we have that relationship and uh i know i know we're gonna be fine so we we've got each other and through the maelstrom that is life we we will never you know we'll be okay right it's the the biblical saying of don't build your house on sand build it on the rock so we're building that house on the rock and that's the house is us in our relationship yeah. And all of this started with a random trip on the Trans-Siberian. Yeah. Crazy, right? It's a uh, serendipity at its finest. Yeah. And it in like our story too, like we met uh at work. She didn't speak any English. I spoke no Russian. Um it was the New Year's party and we kind of I think we sat together or something. Um teachers did some performances and stuff. And yeah, and kind of roughly had a conversation with a few words that we knew in each other's languages and uh, met up over the Christmas break and started hanging out. Then I found out she had a boyfriend and I was like, well, got to back off from this. And then she broke up with her boyfriend and then we got together and da da da. da. So it's, it's been kind of, it's an interesting story and it's a, in yeah. against all odds kind of thing. Who would have imagined? Yeah. Yeah, totally. What, what language do you speak together? Uh, Together? English, yeah. So, yeah, she, she learned English in school, so her English was far better than my Russian. Uh, and uh, both of our French was horrible. We both learned French in school, but it's just awful. <laughs> um, and now I, I can speak a bit of Russian, and I, I know it would be better for my language if we did speak Russian at home. But so difficult when you went from, like, not really understanding each other to understanding each other to switch back. <laughs> So I know like one day that'll have to be a thing just to kind of eventually learn Russian. One day. We'll see. It's a difficult language. But you can you can get by. I can get by, yeah. I've I like to say I have restaurant Russian, which is stealing a phrase from a friend of mine. So I can order in a restaurant and I can I can ask for, you know, without onions or whatever I want. So uh, I'm picturing the first date without speaking each other language. It's a, it's a, it was a lot of gesturing. It was a lot of uh, you know, big movements. Um it was it was fantastic. We walked around the park. We it was kind of the first kind of moment. Um, also, she didn't know it was a date. I thought it was. She didn't. It was a miscommunication. Um, <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we, we walked around and hung out together for about five or six hours. Whoa. And it was never felt awkward. So that was kind of like the big, like, aha uh-huh moment for me. Uh, it wasn't for her because she had a boyfriend at the time. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely, yeah, something cool that I would never really experienced before. But that's quite impressive to to have that that sort of connection with someone when you don't speak each other's language, and yeah. but you can still sort of feel that uh, that comfortness and 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 connection with each other. That, that, that's really cool. Using like the basic basic words you learn when you first start learning a language: dog, cat, and <laughs> a bicycle. And you, you shape the the, the conversation around that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
And Josh, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned earlier that you that living abroad um, helped you learn about yourself. What, mm. what, yeah, what, what did you mean when you said that? What did uh, you learn about yourself? Cool. I'm going to get a little personal. Um, so when I first that's moved, okay. no, yeah, totally. As long as it's okay with you guys. Um, <laughs> so when I first, when I first moved to Russia, uh, I was the only native speaker, um, in my school, only real person who spoke English. I, well, no, the people speak English there, but, uh, I was the only native speaker and everyone else was quite a bit older than me. Uh, so I didn't really have a chance to like hang out with my colleagues and I knew no one in Russia. I didn't have any Russian, so I kind of became a shut-in. I and I wasn't happy. <laughs> I was not happy at all for for the first like four or five months. Um, I would just go to work. I would come home. I would you know go on the internet, or whatever. But I, that was just work home, work home, work home, and never really went out. Uh, and then it was around probably around New Year's time actually, where I was like, I gotta get out of this house. I gotta start doing things. So uh, that's when I, yeah, I, I started to. You know, meet with people, go to hangouts and stuff, and start talking to people. Made some friends, and then it got so much better. Uh, so I had to kind of realize that my personality is very much like I, I. It's it's hard for me to go out and meet new people, to seek out new things, to try new things, and I have, really have to force myself. But I can do that. I've learned that, you know, when it gets dark, I can come back into the light. So that was a huge kind of turning point, I think, in in my revelation about myself is uh, when it's hard, I can shut down. But no matter how hard it gets, I can get out of it. I can kind of will myself to do something that I find difficult or to challenge myself and uh, and be successful in it as well. So that was that was a huge kind of yeah, pivotal point, I would say, not only in living abroad, but in just in life in general. So now, now when I approach projects, I'm like, yeah, everything gets overwhelming and I start to shut down and I go, okay, but you know, it's going to be fine in the end. You survived worse. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. Yeah. It's so amazing and so inspiring to, to hear that from you. We don't know each other. You seem so outspoken and you seem like the kind of guy who, who's very comfortable with being out of his comfort zone. And, I'm uh, not. And yet, yeah, it's not that natural, <laughs> apparently. No, it's uh, well, and that's, they say that about uh, you know introversion versus extroversion, yeah. right? It's uh, where you get your energy from. Uh, do you get your energy from other people or from self-reflection and alone time? And I'm very much an introvert through and through. It's uh, it's very difficult for me to to go out and put myself out there and and meet new people. And uh, but I mean, having said that through improv all things are possible um, the cult of improv and uh and being kind of maybe acting like it's not an not an issue or it's it's easier or having some common interest um really helps take away that anxiety and you know i still tend to overanalyze as an introvert you know i don't know if anyone else here is an introvert but we tend to, where you're like, I said that thing and now they think this about me and da, 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 da. Uh, But I think the the big thing about improv, especially doing it a lot more uh, lately, is uh, when you you have those thoughts, it's like, okay, so what? If I made a mistake, so what, right? Um, It's not the end of the world. It's not a bad thing. No one really cares. And people are, I think, more worried about themselves than they are worried about what other people are doing. Right. They, people tend to care more about like, how do I look than how everyone else looks? So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of this, this whole, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to get out and, and be outspoken, but I know I can do it. Uh, and I've been training myself, but you know, afterwards, maybe I have to go home and just like be alone for a bit, which my girlfriend loves. Uh, <laughs> she absolutely loves when I'm like, no, 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 not now, not now, not now. She, yeah, <laughs> doesn't get frustrated by that in any way. <laughs> Well, thanks for sharing this. Yeah, no, I think I, it's it's uh, important to be open and honest about, you know, because mm-hmm. there, there are other people out there who maybe have the same experiences or who have dealt with the same things or are dealing with it right now. Um, and it's so tough, I think, especially for we are for men talking around. Uh, <laughs> And uh, the male kind of perspective is, you know, you don't talk about these things. You don't share your feelings. You don't share your hardships. And that can be very toxic. And especially if you get into that mindset of dwelling on, you know, all that negativity, 
it's hard. So being able to, you know, share that and, you know, put myself out of my comfort zone, maybe I can help someone else. Who knows? You know, you know little benefits here, side bonuses. But no, I, <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. It's, 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 it's so true. Because like there, there, is, uh, there is a lot of, uh, I think that, that is across all cultures where, where like the, the man shouldn't talk about emotions. Like it's not always socially acceptable to be emotional as a man. Uh, and 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 I think that's a topic that that still needs to be talked about uh, to to open open people's eyes for it. Yeah, for sure, a hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. And being in a very uh, patriarchal society as Russia is, uh, where gender roles are very clearly defined, and only kind of now are starting to be taken down like so it's you know the millennials and younger who are kind of like no this is stupid this doesn't make sense why do we have these gender specific roles yeah so it's it's very much like a culture almost it feels like in transition so kind of like the 90s to 2000s or which I, that was 20 years ago wasn't it mm. oh yeah. man it's almost <laughs> 2020 uh i think we're recording since a bit more than one hour so maybe we can have one last question if someone has one Is there anything that you feel like you you've uh, like would uh, a story that you have from your life that that would conclude this or that you feel like you haven't told something you would like to tell? Well, I do have uh, this is a story I love to tell. Uh, when I first came to Russia, my first day in actually sorry, my second day in Russia. Uh, so my first day, I flew out, uh, and it's it was like a twenty hour flight. I think I stayed overnight in France and then landed. And met with the teacher who kind of organized this whole thing for me to go to the school and picked me up at the airport, drove me to my flat, showed me my flat, uh, showed me around the shops in the area. And we went out and had lunch at this not very, I don't even, it doesn't exist. I don't think it exists the whole franchise anymore. I haven't seen them since, but uh, kind of like a cheaper more Russian version of Burger King. Uh, it had like a maple leaf as it's like similar, but I, I, nothing to do with Canada. Um, just, and it wasn't very good, but uh, yeah. So we went there and then went back to my flat. And so I was without internet. Um, I had, I think we got a SIM card for me so I could call people if I needed to. But the next day I had to go and buy food because I needed to eat. So there was a store nearby. So I went to the shop and no Russian. And so I'm just grabbing things based on how they sort of look. And it's all new products and that I don't know, brands I don't know, whatever. So I'm just kind of grabbing things that look similar to things that I have eaten in the past. I'm like, I can probably make something with this. I end up spending like way too much money, like 15 euros on like a small, tiny deli chicken. Um, I don't know why it was just there. And I was like, I know what this is. Um, and so I had this whole basket full of food and I get to uh, the cashier and she's scanning it through. And she asked me if I want a bag in Russian. And I don't know any Russian. The only word I know is net. No. So I just say, no, I don't, I don't need a bag. I just, no. Do you need a bag? No. And I have so many things. And then as they keep coming, I realize my mistake, <laughs> but I'm too proud to ask for a bag and I don't know how to. So I try to like pick them up in my arms, like, <laughs> like trying to carry these like 20, 25 different items in my hands. And I end up just looking at her pleading in English, like, please, can I have a bag? And This woman, just a little, I don't know, background, this is the first time I met her, but she always was so miserable. Every time I went to the store, no matter what was happening, she looked so incredibly angry and upset that you were there, that you were buying things. Uh, maybe it was just me, and maybe it was because of this experience, but she, she did this, like, and handed me a bag, and I was like, thank you so much. I'm like almost in tears because I'm so stressed, and I was so anxious to go into the store, and what if someone talked to me, and then I shove all this food into my bag, and I run out of the shop. Um, yeah, it was it was very much this, like, go back in, like, I'm never leaving this flat again until tomorrow uh, when I have to go to work for the first time. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was something else, and yeah, I would actually actively seek out this cashier too later on because she always looks so miserable. So no matter how bad my day had been, I always knew that her day was worse. So I could always feel better about myself. And that's where I'll end it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was wondering, during all the story, where what were you trying to get at? <laughs> um, other <laughs> people, misery funny. makes you happy. I believe the Germans yeah. have a word for that. <laughs> Pro, uh, Freude. Schadenfreude. Sch- Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Leave it up to the Germans to have uh, to have a word exactly. for the happiness of. So in, in the podcast we we host in French with uh, Baptiste, we have a tradition uh, every. Uh, people we invite, uh, every person we invite on the show has to come with a quote, a memorable quote for people to ponder um, until the next episode. Um, Since we haven't told you about this and since it wasn't a tradition until now in this podcast. um, (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I'd like to share a quote. (laughs) Yeah, it's by uh, Douglas Adams in the, The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. And uh, it made me it made me think of you. Actually, it, I, I thought of the quote whilst listening to you. Uh, it says, "I may not have gone where I intended to go, but I think I have ended up where I needed to be." I think I think that's a great way to look at life in general because life has a habit of not going the way you want it to. Uh, what it is, a quote of my own: um, uh, "The best way to make God laugh is to make plans." Or a great way to make God laugh. I, can't, I don't remember exactly the quote. I'm paraphrasing. And that's, yeah, just life has a way of, you know, making you, takes you in different and weird directions. And But you, you always end up where you need to be. Thank you very much for being thank here. You, thank you guys so much yeah. for having me. It was a lot yeah, of fun. Thank you. That was really awesome.